Um, I look forward to Jesus coming again because we have um, hope. We have um, freedom. We have the ability to know that um, there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. I look forward to Jesus coming, one, uh, simply just just to know him better. Um, I think part of uh, what we're called to do, or all of what we're called to do right now, is just to know him and walk with him and, and just to fulfill those promises that he brings. So I'm just lucky to be a part of any of it, really. Well, just to be over with, <laughs> like, just the, everything we deal with on a daily basis in our lives, most of it, like, it's very hard to stay positive, especially in our world today, and it's just getting worse and worse, and you can see it happening. Because he's our savior. He can, he will save us one day, and he will, uh, he's our, my friend, and he will help us all. Peace and joy and no hurt. Well, I look forward to it because all of our suffering and pain will, will cease, you know, and uh, it, it's, uh, it can be tough living in this world, and we certainly have um, set out before us um, what we need to be doing on this, on this planet before we die and before we go to heaven, but um, uh, the main thing is, is no more suffering. Being in the way that it was intended being restored to the garden, being restored to the original plan, or a better plan than the original plan. Beyond. Oh, there it is. Hi, I'm Jonah. I've been coming here for 14 years, maybe. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Um, we're in Luke chapter 2, verses... 25 through 32 or 33? 32. Got it. All right. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit, of, and he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. myself fine. Yeah, do y'all hear me? All those people online right now are going, I'm sure glad Greg is talking. We're, you know, not just moving his lips. Yeah, well, I haven't had too many miscues on electronics lately, so I guess I'm due. But one of the things I'm really excited about when I see someone like Jonah reading, or one of our students, where when last, uh, I think it was last week, Henry read, and she'd been here for I, I don't know, 30-some years, you know, you just, you start seeing that, and you realize, hey, we're a family, and when we talk about 
church and we talk about the people of God, we cannot forget that we're coming together. We're learning how to follow Jesus together. We're, we're reading his word. We're growing in, in Christ. We're allowing the spirit to enlighten us, to teach us of his, of his word, and then to begin to appropriate it into our lives. We are a group of people learning how to follow Jesus, and, and we're a family. And so when you see these these young people coming up who have been here a long time or maybe new and as we continue to grow we encourage one another unto love and good works even more as we see the day coming right we just stimulate one another as well and the love and good works so that so that we continue to operate as a body of Christ one of the things if you came into the service this morning you probably saw one of these little cards in in your seat I would encourage you to take this card there's just one in your seat and give it to somebody, invite them to our Christmas Eve service. There's a couple reasons why. One, we like to see people, right? We all like to do that. But the greater issue is that there are people that need Christ. Where maybe there's folks who have been hurt by the church, where they've been, you know, grown discouraged in their faith, and they need to be encouraged. I encourage you to give this to somebody and encourage them and to invite them. And, and not just to a Christmas Eve service, but maybe you have them over to your house and have dinner or coffee or some way to, to reach. We need to be intentional as God's people in this community with the gospel. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. If your mindset of a Christian is to come in and just to get and to receive, you've missed the boat. And you are going to get frustrated with your faith. You're going to get frustrated with the church. You're going to get frustrated with these things. And you're going to go, huh, what, what's, no big deal. I tried the church. It didn't work. And go on out and down the road. And you're going to miss out. You're just totally going to miss out. If you come to a body of believers in a church, guess what? You're going you're to have those times where you build really good relationships. And there's going to be times where there's difficult times. It's just the way we are because we still are overcoming iniquity and sins in our life, right? As we follow after him. But we show grace and we show mercy and we work together and we stimulate one another unto love and good works. So as we're in this community, we want to share the love of Christ and how God's treated us and loved us and the things he's done for us. So we want to keep that going. Amen? Let's pray, folks, as we walk into the text today. Father, we come before you. Lord, I, I, I just pray that your spirit moves over us this morning. I pray for those that are watching online just as much as those that are here, that, Father, your spirit would move among us, that, Father, you would enlighten those things. Some of us are coming in, and, Father, sometimes this time of the year just isn't the best, best time of the year for some. But, Father, may our eyes be set and moved on the person of Jesus Christ. Father, every time I look at, at people, I can always fall short. But when I see Christ, Father, I see your hope. I see our salvation. I see the things that you provided in Jesus and what he's done and accomplished that we might live in Christ. And Father, today, I just pray your spirit moves and encourages those who need to be encouraged. I pray, Father, for those who, who need to be enlightened and to grow in their faith, that, Father, your spirit would do that this morning. That, Lord, you would go past all of my shortcomings, all my iniquities, my own sins, and my own inabilities. And, Father, you, your spirit, would speak to us as your people. May God, we today, as we hear your word, as we spend this time focusing on the person of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, you would lift us up 
But Lord, we would not continue in any way in apathy, but Father, we would thirst and long to know you more as we open your word and we see things about who your son is and who you are, that Father, it would move our hearts and that Father, we would follow after you and we would seek after you in unity and faith and, and the truth of your word, not walking in darkness, Father, but walking in the light and the truth of your word. Father, we pray these things and we entrust you in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that when I was growing up, <clears throat> when I was a kid, that I loved every time came around the, in, in, in different times of the, of the year was, was the rodeo. Now, I know here, you know, you got the stockyards in Fort Worth and, and you got all that. But when I grew up, where I grew up, it was a big deal. And it was pretty much like one time a year was a big deal. And they brought in, in, the, in the cows and all the horses and the bulls. And I looked forward to it every year. I mean, when I was a little kid, I had, I had the cowboy boots. I had this little vest that I would put on and my cowboy hat. And I would be, I was cute. I just want you to know that. Okay? <laughs> I was just like the cutest little thing. You know, and I look forward to it. I mean, I'd, I'd have it on my calendar. You know, we had a little calendar. I'd be marking that date, counting the days. My dad loved that time of the year because he would say, you know, if you don't straighten out, son, you're not going to get to go to the rodeo. It's like, you know, talk about motivation, right? Because we had, you lived in anticipation of that time. You look, you look forward to it. You know, and as I begin to think of this time of the year, we begin to look forward to all the times to get together, the family, the tree. I can remember as a kid, my dad would go and my mom and we would go pick out a, a tree and bring it back. And we always got live trees back in the day and we decorate it. My mom would uh, do a big bowl of popcorn. It's probably only about this big, but you know, when you're a little kid, it's like this, you know, it was huge. And we'd sit there and string popcorn and put it over the, over the tree and just, just all that fun stuff. You begin to look towards those memories. Well, this is, when we look at this time of the year, it's a time to remind us of one who came, right? It's a time to remind us of, of, of Christ, of, of what he did. Last week, we took time, and, and, I, and I know I had someone, I had a couple of you folks say, man, last week was not a typical Christmas message, Greg. You know, you usually go to the garden to talk about Christmas, but what, I, what my desire, what I'm praying is that through this time, through this, through this month, as we have next Sunday and then Christmas Eve service, that we gain an anticipation of Christ's coming. That we have that hope, that, that word hope is the idea of that confident expectation of Christ's coming. So last week, what I wanted to do was just see where it began. And we went back to the garden. And we saw in the garden that what God intended in the way that he created in holiness and righteousness and the, and the uh, intimacy of the relationship between God and humanity. But something happened when they ate of that fruit, when, when sin into the world, they, they entered into a different realm. They moved from that realm of, of righteousness and holiness and, and intimate communion with God into a realm of sin and death. And that's why we needed to be bought. That's why we needed to be redeemed because I've never met anybody that's overcome death except Christ. Everybody has succumbed to that, to, that, to that realm of death and of sin. And so from that moment, when we looked in Genesis chapter three and verse 15, and I wrote hope next there, that's what I wrote in my Bible, because it, it set out hope, and then you begin to see God work. Every time there was an, a new birth, 
There was hope. And as God called out Abraham, and that through him, all the nations would be blessed. And he said through his son Jacob, all the nations would be blessed. Because through that line would come one, a redeemer, a Messiah, the Christ. And so we still saw through last week, we looked in some of those Old Testament passages. We saw that he was to be the savior. He would do away with sin. He would do away with death. He would conquer death. He would give us victory. And you could see where the Jewish people were longing for the coming of Christ, of the Messiah. Now, many of them missed the picture because they're looking for what? One who would come and set up a new kingdom. But God had promised not just, not just a new kingdom, but he, called, he, he promised redemption, a restoration, a redeeming, whereby we would be made in the righteousness of Christ. He promised those things. And so when we walk in this morning into Luke chapter 2, where we're going to be at this morning, we're actually going to be seeing where God faithfully provided and did what he said he would do in the confident expectation of those people who looked for the Messiah, that he would send the Messiah, he would send the Christ. So when we go into chapter two, and you see in the first seven verses, you see there's a census. And, and so Joseph and Mary now traveled to Bethlehem because they were in the line of David. And so they returned to Bethlehem, and there they have this, this baby, this, this Jesus. We find him wrapped in cloths. They would strip class, uh, take strips of cloth and wrap the baby, keeping their arms so they wouldn't scratch and hurt themselves, but they would keep the baby and they wrap him up and they set him in a manger. And I've always had the picture of it being the stables. That's probably what it was, but it was interesting to read some folks that it wasn't unusual that they would put their animals in caves because that way there's nothing that can come in around the other way. There's only one way in, one way out. And so maybe there was a manger there. Who knows where, where he's at, but we find him not coming in all of, of the glory of humanity, but we find him coming as a peasant. There's times when I think I'm a little more than what I am, right? We all get there sometimes, right? And yet the God of the universe who said, let there be light, and there was. The God from everlasting to everlasting who breathed life into the nostrils of, of man, gave life to humanity. He doesn't come in, as, a, as a prince or as a king. We find him in a manger, as a, as a peasant, as a, as a poor person. It's just amazing, our God. It tells us in verses 8 through 20 of chapter 2 that the angels appeared to the shepherds. And the angels say to them, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I find it amazing that Jesus came in the way that he did. And yet the only, the only proclamation of Jesus was those that were moved by God. It was angels that came and proclaimed, or maybe a light in the sky, where we'll see in a minute, even in Simeon, who the Spirit was upon. It's a picture of, of God declaring that this is the one, this is the one that he promised. And literally, as we see the babe in the manger, you know what? We begin to realize our hope is here. Our hope is here. Here is our hope. Here is the one who's going to come and the Redeemer 
our salvation, the one who would give life and conquer sin and death. If you look at verses 22 through 24, we, we see Mary and Joseph as they're going into the temple to present Jesus to the Lord. It was typical, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 12, verses, I think it's one through five, the first part of Leviticus 12, you see there's, there's directions within the law of what they were to do when a, when a woman would have a son. So on the eighth day, they would circumcise him. And then 33 days later, they would come to the, to the temple to present the baby before the Lord, but also for a sacrifice of purification. And so if they, they would come with a lamb to sacrifice in order to purify, unless you were poor, you came with two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so that's what Mary and Joseph brought because that's all they could afford. Isn't it amazing, the creator of the universe, the one who has all things within the palm of his hand, we see him coming. It's amazing to me. So when we look at this, we see that Jesus is about 41 days old when he comes to the temple. And we'll pick up in verse 25. And it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was, a, was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. Verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple and when, he, uh, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. And I just want to stop there for a second. So as we read this passage, keep in mind that Jesus is about 41 days old right now. It says about Simeon, it doesn't say a lot. It says he was righteous and devout. That idea of devout, we don't use that word in our language a lot, but it has the idea of kind of this cautious or careful observance of the, of the divine law. In other words, when, when Simeon went about keeping the law, he was very cautious and conscientious about the law, the ceremonies and the rituals that they had and the precepts that were given. He was very conscientious about that. And because of that, he was a righteous man because of, that, of doing that. It tells us that he was righteous. He was under divine inspiration as he testifies of the significance of Jesus, who he was. Um, I think in a lot of ways, kind of like in the Old Testament when it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. You see the Old Testament prophets that were, the Holy Spirit would come on him and they would prophesy. Probably a lot like that, even though there's some uniqueness to Simeon because in the sense that he was a righteous and devout man, even though Luke didn't tie him to a, being a Pharisee or a priest, doesn't even call him necessarily a prophet, doesn't tie him to any of that. It just it ties him to the aspect that he was righteous, that there's this idea that in his life and his seeking after God and his desire to be devout and righteous in the way that he kept the observation of, of, of the divine law, that he himself was spiritual. It's a kind of a unique picture, but the Holy Spirit was on him. As he, as he went about in the excitement of the t temple looking for the consolation of Israel. In fact, I think it really stands out when you look at him. It really stands out that his hope for the Messiah stands in stark contrast to the spiritual blindness that was going on around him. If Jesus wasn't coming to, to conquer Rome, if Jesus wasn't com coming to, to establish his kingdom here and now, then it couldn't be him. And they were rejecting him as a result. 
So Simeon says, says about him that he was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's, a, that's an interesting frame. In fact, when you look down in verse 39, or 38, uh, Anna talks about that as well, where, where uh, we're waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So there's this anticipation where this consolation, the comfort of Israel, the salvation of Israel as were used in the Old Testament. It was kind of a, a common way of encouraging one another when they would say, so I may see the consolation of Israel. It's kind of like today, if I were to say, may today be the day. May it be today. You know what I'm talking about, right? May he come today. And you start saying that and you start thinking, yeah, I wish Jesus would come. I wish today was the day. I wish before the sun went down today, Jesus, the trumpets would sound and Jesus would come. And we start gaining encouragement. We're reminded of our faith and who we are. And they would use this, this idea of waiting for the consolation where that I may see the consolation. And they knew it from the, from the scriptures. In fact, if we were to look at Isaiah chapter 25 and verse nine, it says there, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. Hear that? We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. There was an anticipation, an aspect whereby they were waiting for the salvation of God to come, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the one that God had promised. In fact, Paul kind of uses the same idea, the Apostle Paul, when he was before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 and verse 6, it says, Sorry, my, all that heat going on last night. You all like that this morning? You all wake up really dry this morning? The heat going, it got cold last night, didn't it? The heat kind of gone on. So this morning, I'm a little, little, um, little drier than I normally is. But in Acts 26, verse 6, it says, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. Paul was saying, hey, the reason I'm here is because, because of the promise of God, because of the, what am I hope that I have and what God has promised and what he has done. He does it again in imprisonment and in Rome. He asks to see, speak in chapter eight, uh, 28 and verse 20 of Acts. He says, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it, it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing these chains. There was a constant understanding for Paul, the apostle Paul, he's saying, hey, I know the hope of Israel's been here. It's Jesus, he's come. And because of that, because of my hope of Israel and the proclamation of it, I now find myself in trial. I now find myself in chains. It was, it was an anticipation, the way for the consolation of Israel. I like in verse 28, and it says he took him up in his arms. Jesus is just a baby. He's 41 days old. And he took him up in his arms. I, I, my wife and I, we were blessed to have five children. And uh, I remember our first, uh, Scotty. I remember the day he was born and it was kind of neat because he came in the world and uh, he was, you know, screaming a lot, crying. You know, they do that sometimes. And I remember I went over because they had set him under the lights. He had a little bit of jaundice. And he, was just, he just wouldn't calm down. The nurses were telling me, it's okay, we'll, and, you know, all that. But he wouldn't calm down. And one of them said, hey, Daddy, you want to come over here and talk to him? And I went over and I just started talking to him and just crying stopped. 
because I've been talking to him in his mom's womb for nine months, right? He knew my voice, and I began to speak to him. And after a certain point, they wrapped him up, you know, real tight, so it's only like their face, you know, so cute, you know. And the nurse was wrapping him up, and she said, hey, Dad, do you want to walk him over to the nursery? And none of the other hospitals that we had children at did that, but this one did. And I said, yeah. And I remember, I remember holding that little guy. It was probably the best day of my life as a dad, right? You know, because I haven't done anything wrong yet. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm holding this little guy and I'm walking him over there to the nursery. And that's the first time I called him Bud because he's my Bud. And there's a closeness there. Can you see for Simeon taking up the hope of Israel in his arms? The one who's going to bring redemption? The one who is going to provide salvation? Can you see the intensity? Man, it just, it just blows me away. You know, he, he got to see, as God had told him he would, the salvation of Israel. As he's holding him there, he begins to bless God. And this is what he says in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. In other words, that that commitment that God had told him and revealed to him. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen, listen to it, your salvation, your hope, the one you would provide that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. God didn't hide this. He did it in the midst. And many were walking by. I wondered as, I've often thought as Simeon was holding Jesus there, were people just in the other parts of the temple just going about their business and, and missing out. And yet here in the midst of the people was God's salvation. It's a warning for us to, to not miss what God has done that he's calling to us and he's calling us to himself and that we don't have hard hearts, but we yield and humble ourselves before Almighty God. Verse 31, that you have prepared in the midst, in, in the presence of all peoples. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. It's an interesting picture here, this, this idea of revelation to the Gentiles and in the mind of the Jew, there was Jews and everybody else was Gentiles. That's just, how they looked at it. But here's the idea is that the Messiah was to be a light for the Gentiles in darkness. In Titus 2.11, it says the grace of God has appeared to all, all people. And it's, it's kind of this word appear is the idea of the sun coming up over the horizon and, and the beams of light shining out into the darkness and, and bringing about light. I always remember sitting on the Grand Canyon and, and watching the sun come up and as, a, as the beams of, of the sun and light began to shine across the horizon and next thing you, you have is here's the light. And it's a picture that the Messiah is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and that in darkness he's shining in that they would see and glory of Israel. What does he mean by that? The picture is that that through Abraham, through Israel, would be the Messiah. He would come through him, and that all of the nations would be blessed. So every time that Jesus is exposing and he's revealing, it is a glory to Israel because God called them out that the the Messiah would come through him. 
It also, it also tells us in Isaiah 49, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah 49, 6. That my light, for, I will make you as my light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. I don't think Simeon had handed Jesus back to his mom yet, to Mary. When we walk into verse 33, I, th I think he's still holding Jesus. I don't know that. That's just my thought. But listen as he goes on in verse 33. He says, and his father and his mother, that's Mar Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce your, through your own soul also so that, you, so, that, um, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It's a picture that, that Jesus was proclaiming that the kingdom was through him. Now remember, when Jesus came into this scene, they were looking for a king. They were looking for someone to come and establish a kingdom. And when Jesus called them, he called them to believe in him. In fact, I think it's in John, Gospel of John chapter 5, when they're asking him, what work must we do? And he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That you would believe in Jesus whom God sent. That was the work. That was the idea is that you're to believe in Christ. Jesus was calling them to believe in him, but they, that's not what they wanted. They wanted a king that would come in and take over and, and get rid of Rome and establish their kingdom. They couldn't see that picture. And so the picture is those who would believe and, 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 and trust in Christ, they were rising, but those who found Jesus as a stumbling block for what he intended, they were falling. I think there's a perfect picture of that in Mark chapter 14, verses 60 through 64, as Jesus is brought before the priest, high priest. And it says in verses 62 through 64, it says, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he, Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And the response was, and they all condemned him as deserving death. The confrontation that Christ would bring because it wasn't coming through another way. They, did, they didn't believe that he was God. And Jesus said, I am the Christ. I'm seated at the right hand of power of the God Almighty. He will come with the heavens of glory. That's who he is. This, this little baby that Simeon's holding, this is 41 days of old. This little child was our hope. He was the Christ, and they began to reject him. You remember the story in Mark chapter 2 where the paralytic, they came with their friend, and they, they couldn't get into where Jesus was, so they go on the roof, begin to pull back the roof and lower him down in. And picking up in verse 5 of Mark 2, 
It says this, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Praise God. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Is that true? Is their statement true? Only God can forgive sins, right? Only God could. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk? The picture is literally, was it easier if I just said, oh, your sins are forgiven? Or do I do something? Do I go over and heal you? Which is easier? Because one, you can't prove. The other one, you can. If he healed him and he got up and walked away, they knew that he healed him. But how do you know that he forgave his sins? And so Jesus responding so that they would know, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed, glorifying God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing? I mean, you know, today there's going to be some guys scoring touchdowns, you know, and we're all going, woo, you know, but we don't get excited over this. This is amazing. This little child that Simeon is holding is going to forgive sin. Hallelujah. Praise God. To him be the glory and the praise. This little baby that Simeon's holding, this child, in John chapter 8, verses 56 through 59, tells us that he claimed equality with God. That's important. It says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, that, that word truly, truly literally can be interpreted, it is so, it is so. It, it's really the word amen, amen. It's, it's one of the words that kind of influenced me early in my faith. Because when God says it, amen, it means it is so. There's no question about it. The Lord has spoken, it's done. When we say amen, we're saying, let it be true, let it be true. Let it be so. We, that's what, yes, I agree. Let that be true. And so Jesus saying, it is the truth. It is true. What I'm about to say to you, it is true. It is true. I say to you before Abraham was, I am. And it's such a powerful statement because when it, Moses was to go in and deliver his people and he said, Lord, well, who do I tell them that sent me? And God said, I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. God was identifying who he was. So for Jesus then to repeat this, they knew exactly what he was saying, that he was calling himself equal with God. He was God. You think the Jews understood? I know there's a lot of people say, oh, they, you know, I've heard critics have said, oh, they didn't really understand what Jesus said. Yeah, they didn't. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? because they understood exactly what he said. They picked up stones. This child that Simeon was holding in his arms was God. In fact, there was never a moment that Jesus wasn't God. There was never a moment. There was never a time that he wasn't God. John 1.1 tells us, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How do I know this is Jesus? In verse 14 of the same chapter, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This child that Simeon's holding in his arms, this, this child, this baby, was God. It was the hope of Israel, and it's our hope. It says in Acts chapter 2, verses, verse 24, that death couldn't hold him. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible. I love that word right there. It was not possible for him to be held by it. In other words, death could not hold him back. This child that Simeon was holding, this baby, 41 days old, that he was holding, death could not hold him in the grave. Amen? It could not hold him back. This child, our hope of Israel, our hope, our Redeemer, our Messiah, the one who would bring deliverance, death couldn't hold him. That's where we get the great exchange in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, for our sakes he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an amazing picture, right? That he who knew no sin became sin. Why? In order that we might be made into the righteousness of God. He took upon himself our sin. And we got his righteousness. That really seems unfair, doesn't it? But praise God for his mercy and his love towards us. That in that great exchange, we would go from a place of, of condemnation, go from a place of rejection to a place of righteousness in the righteousness of Christ. That today when I stand before God and I say, Abba, Father, when I call him my God and my Father, he sees me in his righteousness and the righteousness of his Son as he continues to mold and make my life more and more like his. In fact, it talks about in Colossians chapter three, verses three and four, it talks about Christ being our life. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will, also, will appear with him in glory. There's a picture there that I love, that our life is hidden in Christ in God. It's, it's, it's our life in Christ. It's him. He's our life. And when he is revealed, we will be revealed with him in glory. Are you willing to wait? Think about that. What he is promising and, and what he's coming to accomplish, we're going to look at that next week, by the way. That, that, I'm really excited about that when we start looking because, dear people of God, we are a people as well looking and waiting that little baby that, that Simeon held in his arms and he blessed God and that little child is our redeemer. And what he did in the cross and through his death and his resurrection, he conquered sin and death that we might have life. In Acts chapter one, verses nine through 11, that child that Simeon's holding is gonna come again. It says, when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? 
This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen? We've been talking about this month, come thou long expected Jesus. We're still looking for coming to Christ. We're still a people of hope. Faith, hope, and love, these, the greatest of which is what? Love. We're still a people of hope. We know that God's gonna accomplish what he promised because we've seen him do it in the sending of his son right here in Luke chapter two. Come thou long expected Jesus. Let us be faithful until he comes, that we would be faithful with the ministry of reconciliation that he's given to us, that we would be faithful to, to heed his word in obedience of his word in our lives as we walk after him, as we thirst after him. May we grow in our faith that our faith would grow strong and firm in the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus, that he, when he will come again, we will know all those things with him. To him be the glory. To him be the praise forever and ever. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. To God be the glory and the praise for he alone is worthy, as we sang earlier, for he alone is worthy, amen. Dear people of God, we've been looking, we've started in the garden, and today we kind of looked at Christ and who he was. And, in, and to be honest with you, there, were, there, were, he, there was difficulty because people didn't want to believe what he called them to. They didn't want to believe. They wanted other things. They wanted Christ in their way. But Christ has come. Do you know Jesus? Have you received him into your life? Are you a person of faith? I don't mean dabbling here and there. I mean, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? There is no hope otherwise. I don't know of any other. I don't. Do you know Christ? Today, I wanna call you to Christ. If you haven't received him, come, come find me. I'll be around here at the back. I'll be around. Come find me. Don't be shy. It's the hope of our salvation that we hang on to. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that your spirit would just move right now among your people. Father, I pray that those that might be here today that have been kind of struggling in their faith and their walk, that Lord, you would just, um, you would just speak with them. You would encourage them that all the things that are going on in life that doesn't seem to, to measure up sometimes, that, Lord, our faith, our rest, our hope, our confidence is in who Christ is, that, Lord, you would speak to them and encourage them. Father, you would lift them up. Father, I pray for those that might be here this morning who maybe came, maybe, Father, they just thought going to church is just something you're supposed to do but they never come to a place where they receive Christ in their life. I pray your spirit would move among them. And Father, they would seek out someone to explain this message or simply by faith. That's all it is. Lord, that we make it so many things, but Lord, it's simply believing in your son to save us from our iniquities. Lord, I pray that you would move among your people to do as you plan and as you wish. May our hearts be soft to hear, our ears ready to listen. 
Lord, that we might embrace and appropriate the truths of your word in our lives, that we might glorify you. To you be the honor and the praise forever and ever. Amen.